Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under Networks. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Hello, Pelican fans, and welcome to The Bird Calls, the official podcast of SB Nation's TheBirdRights.com. I am David Grubb, and I'm filling in for Preston Ellis once again as host today. I'm joined by Kevin Berrios, David Fisher, and our editor-in-chief, Mr. Ali Cassell. Gentlemen, welcome. How are we doing? Good. (laughs) (laughs) For everyone, we're all doing great. We haven't been potting much lately, so this is going to be fun. Yes, I'm sure we I'm have just, some. I'm just lighting the candles for the end of um, the Celtics uh, season. And Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell and Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Team as we know it, they're about to burn it down. Yes, they are. Milwaukee's, you're right. They're up, what, 30? What is this? 26. Dang. I mean, you know, I guess that plane ride did not fix everything like Kyrie thought. I mean, this team, and I think it all comes down to Kyrie. It's been Kyrie the entire season. And I think that, you know, Boston is reaping uh, what you sow when you try to bet on a guy who never demonstrated any leadership anywhere. But that's- yeah, it's obvious Danny Age can't bring it back. So it's either the kids are going to go out the door, they keep Kyrie and bring in somebody else, or, yeah, they've got to say goodbye to Kyrie. So I don't know. If I'm Danny Age, I don't I know what's a better solution. I think they're a better team if you get rid of Kyrie. If, if, they, if, if Kyrie leaves, you save that money, they can still make a trade. I think they're in a better situation. But that's – any other thoughts on the playoffs before we get into the Pelicans? Uh, this has been a very interesting postseason so far. Um, any any standout uh, things besides what's going on in Boston that have – just one thing from each of you guys that's really um, stood out to you in the playoffs so far? Kevin? Oh, uh, I didn't get to watch enough of it because it's <laughs> going on in my life. And then also work. Um, so I, 
but I've really been enjoying the Nuggets and Portland series and the Toronto and 76ers series. I have really enjoyed game one of the Nets series, but then after that, I wanted to cry. Oh. <laughs> so that, that's that. That's what, those are my thoughts. How about you, Ollie? Jamal Murray. I thought that if the Denver Nuggets were to make any noise, it couldn't just be Jokic, you know? They've, that's what they've been in the past. They've been a bunch of shooters, guys running around him. Sometimes the offense clicked, sometimes it did, and the defense was always shoddy. But, man, Jamal Murray is blossoming between before our eyes, and, and I love that kid. David loves him. We all There's a lot of us that love him, but it's great to see, and I think that's the big key because he looks like he's going to be that next, maybe potentially superstar in the Western Conference. How about you, Fish? Well, first, Ollie's taking my thunder here because Jamal Murray's <laughs> been my guy. Gosh, man, since when he was in Kentucky, I think Murray was probably the first guy I wrote about as this is the guy the Pelicans need to get. You can slot him in a point guard beside Drew. And what's he doing? Exactly what I anticipated he was going to do. If anything else, he's exceeding all of my expectations. But outside of that, I think, man, the the next game we're about to get here, this Golden State-Houston, it's been wild. Like, not necessarily always good. No, it's been bad basketball. I agree. It's, I mean, they're creating open shots, and there's a lot of, I mean, role players that just keep on missing open shots. And so, I mean, the shooting percentages are horrendous. And what about Steph, David, what about Steph and Clay? They haven't clicked seemingly all series. Yeah, they haven't clicked all series, but the, the, jumping back to David's question on, the thing that's jumping out to me, and this was a uh, um, kind of building off a tweet I saw from Zach Lowe, um, Houston's um, rebounding something like 35% of their misses mm-hmm. when they're playing PJ Tucker at center. And all season, like during the season, NBA has been pushing away, away from offensive rebounding, but you get to the playoffs all of a sudden, can you finish possessions? Can you get different? defensive rebounds or can you manufacture offense in a different way by attacking the glass comes to the forefront when you're looking at a much smaller sample size against a team that has the ability you know to game plan against you and all of your tendencies one of the ways to get around that is crashing the glass on the offensive glass and creating cheap buckets and just that was the big thing that's been jumping out to me yeah and to play off of that i think the thing that's been surprising is that in every game of the series Houston has made more threes than Golden State. It's not that they, I mean, you knew Houston was going to take more. That's, I mean, they shoot almost what 55% of their shots come from three point range. That's not a surprise. But typically, Golden State makes them at a much higher rate than they have been. And, And like you said, Steph and Clay have not shot the ball well in this series. I think the Kevin Durant has been a little too ball dominant for my taste. In the um, against Houston, uh, I don't think that's the best for Golden State. Uh, but yeah, the the but beyond that series, I think watching Kawhi Leonard uh, against Philadelphia is has been incredible. Um, just best his player in the league. Hey, is he your best player in the league? I don't know if he's the best, but it's that that list ain't long. He's impacting the game in so many different ways, and the thing that we really keep underestimating about Kawhi is. He does not take any bad shots. He can get any shot he wants, any time he wants, and he doesn't rush them or take bad shots. He always looks like he's moving at his tempo. 
he's my favorite. He, I think he's the best player in the NBA right now. His ability, his ball handling is what stood out for me in this series. He's dribbling around double teams. He's as patient as I remember watching Michael Jordan in his prime going around two, three pistons, you know? That's it's what beautiful. I'm seeing out there. It's beautiful. Um, yeah. Let's get back into the hometown team now. Uh, let's talk about these Pellies. Of course, uh, one of the big things this week, names got released for the team reps at the lottery next week. It's on, on Tuesday. Um, David Griffin will be watching the, the balls be pulled from the machine, I guess, the process. And then uh, Alvin Gentry will be representing the team on the dais. Let's have a little fun, guys. Let's start with uh, Fish. Who would be your choice to be sitting on the stage when that draft order is announced for the Pelicans? Not Alvin Gentry, man. I mean, (laughs) honestly, respectfully, Alvin Gentry has uh, a dog that didn't get a treat face, man. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he's going to be out there with those bloodshot eyes and just. I will say the last time I saw him recently, um, I think it was an interview with Fletcher. It looks like um, he had a very fresh haircut and yes. he was looking a little more sprightly. Yes. Maybe that's just the effect of he's got Griffin in the office now. He feels empowered. Maybe he doesn't feel like he's got one foot out the door as the head coach. Um, so he was looking a little better, but man, not Griffin, not, not Gentry. Not Gentry on the dais, but but the uh, question is, yeah, who is who you who you replacing him with? Anybody you want, have fun with it. Yeah, I'd be Gail. I mean, put the owner. That's out a there. good one. Some, That's a good one. Some teams do that. Um, put put Gail out there. She'll have a great, you know, happy smile when the Pelicans jump up and they're not announced at you know seven, and you know that they're going to be moving up into the into the top four, and then after that, it's all gravy. There we go. Now, okay, I, know Kevin, I know Kevin's got a good one. Kevin has to have a good one. All right. So, the, you know, you got a person out in the front, and then you got a person in the back room. So my out in the front person, King Cake Baby. <laughs> person in the back is the stock footage of that one black kid with the high top fade that was dancing awesome that one time when the mm. stadium was filled, a dance came. And they constantly insert that footage during dance camp. Like, we don't know that the empty stadium is not what we're seeing on the thing. So, she just cut the tip of that one kid dance. Y'all know who I'm talking about. I know you know who I'm talking about. Because it's I remember, yeah. every game. And they think that they were pulling the wool over our eyes. But so, anyway, we cut to him to celebrate, um, you know, landing whatever pick we get. And that's it. All right, Ollie. I would, since they're trying to change your image, trying to make the New Orleans Pelicans more human. I think that's what Griffin just recently said about Aaron Nelson's hiring. He's adding that human element. I would add, or first of all, hire, because obviously they don't have him working for him, but maybe say a David West, somebody who has lived and breathed New Orleans basketball. And so you make a connection to your past. You kind of, you know, I, I think they still need to apologize to certain players that have come and gone. You know, they, it hasn't been a respectful situation for a lot of these guys in the way they left. So I wouldn't mind seeing something nostalgic like that, maybe having David West or somebody like that from years before that was one of the best players in franchise history up there. But one thing I want to make an argument on behalf of Gentry real quick is 
I was looking to see where everybody was born because I remembered, obviously, Alvin was born in North Carolina, Shelby, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And I remember Zion being from the area. And sure enough, he, li- he was born about 83 miles away. And then John Morant was born in South Carolina, which is about 140 miles away from where Alvin lived. So I'm just saying there's that vibe, you know? I'm going to say maybe Alvin Gentry can somehow summon his roots and be connected to the roots of Ja or Zion and somehow makes it happen where we land the first or second pick. Also, just to interject, he also looks like the the guy, the mob boss who R. Kelly's sleeping with his old lady in the video. <laughs> so, like, you Mr. Biggs, of him like running the show, Mr. Biggs. Yeah, oh, Mr. My Biggs. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, David? Um, let's go with with uh, I think Drew and his uh, uh his kid. I think that would be awesome. You know, Cleveland had luck. Smart, David. Cleveland had a lot of luck sending Dan Gilbert's goofy-looking kid. They got two lottery wins with that kid. Milwaukee almost won sending their own owner's daughter. So, you know, kids kids do well at the lottery, and everyone loves. You know, Drew and Julius both have cute kids. So send those kids. Let them go up there and let them, you know, represent the team. Well, except Drew. Send Tom's kids, huh? That wouldn't work out too well. No. no. <laughs> that, yeah, let's not go there. <laughs> no, let's not do that. All right. Um, let's, uh, you know, obviously Tuesday, everybody will be paying attention to the lottery. Uh, and then the dominoes really start to fall. Uh, so in a lot of our questions, we'll get to some of the, the impact. But this week we did on the birdrights.com publish a couple of pieces about the possibility of Anthony Davis staying with the Pelicans this season and what David Griffin and company can do, should do, um, and what they could, you know, could do um, if that were to happen. So first uh, let's throw Ali on this one. What are the chances in your opinion that AD is with the Pelicans when they open the season? And is that something that the team and the fans should want at this point? Well, I said when Griffin first mentioned his whole, I'm going to talk to Anthony Davis or examine the situation. Now that we've got wind, he is going to meet with him sometime later this month. Um, that I'm 90-10. I still think his foot is too much out the door. And if it's not his foot, he's being pushed by his family, his representation. You know, we all know others make decisions on his behalf. And he kind of lives his life with his, his core group, right? And he looks out for them. And more so, I should say, they look out for him and his decisions, his welfare, so to speak. So I still say he's gone. I don't care how Griffin or anybody else who's in that meeting sweet talks him, whatever they offer, I still think he's done. I think he's made up his mind. Um, and he went through a whole season, or I should say half a season, where he, he was shocked at the reaction by the fans. But you could tell it hurt him, and it rubbed him the wrong way. And he, he, even in that first game, I remember asking him, look, those cheers, because we, we first mentioned those boos, um, how do you feel about it? He didn't like it. He, he found it, you know, he was unexpected and shocked by it. And I said, but they turned the cheers later in the game. If you guys remember, he really had a hell of a game against the Minnesota Timberwolves where he, he just went ballistic and he couldn't miss a shot. I think he missed like two shots on a night, scored maybe close to 30 points, but he's like, I don't care. You know, he's like, you can't be both ways, right? So I just feel like Anthony Davis kind of lives by that credo. I mean, we've seen him wear that shirt. We've seen him go on that barbershop show with LeBron James. There's been so many instances. He's shot them down. 
So I don't agree with this whole argument that, hey, Dell Dempsey's been thrown at the door. Maybe AD will have a change of heart. Nope. Not once did he really show or relinquish, you know, kind of his fate, and which is sealed to me that he's leaving town. So I'm going to write more on this. I'm not going to reveal too much more, but I want to get to the pieces that, you know, both Preston and David wrote on, on what we can get for him, because I think that's what we need to concentrate, the future. And I really don't think it involves uh, Anthony Davis anymore. Kevin, I don't remember any situations where a player demanded a trade the way AD did or any or way. And then they were able to patch that up with the team that they were demanded the trade from. What, what could, could David Griffin possibly say to Anthony Davis to convince him to come back? And then what could Davis say in the converse to convince Griffin that he's really wants to stay? Yeah. I mean, I, I really don't know. Um, I, I I guess I'm going to say to your earlier question to Ollie, it would be about a 30% chance I, mm-hmm. I'll give it just because, you know, Griffin seems um, like he's pretty um, adamant about at least trying to have a, a real conversation with him. And he's bringing in, making these changes to the training staff and things like that that might appeal to him. Um, you know, if they could sell him on a whole new culture, a whole new beginning, I guess maybe that's something, you know, a second chance on redeeming his uh, his legacy. You know, he talks about legacy, but, you know, if this is the way his tenure ends here, it's definitely a, um, a real black eye on his legacy. So that's the only things I can see working argument for him. And now otherwise, it's it's a weird situation because Anthony Davis is clearly an incredible basketball player, but... I just don't see how this team gets better really with him. Now we could get worse. Don't get me wrong. If we trade him, we could definitely get worse, but I don't think we can consistently be better than we were. If we bring him back and even try to roll forward with this, just because of the salaries that we'll have, the way we'll have to operate. And the fact that some of the cracks in his facade have really started to show and the kind of person and kind of, uh, I mean, just really the kind of person he is like, he's not, he doesn't have that alpha mentality. He's not a a good leader. He's not a guy who can create for himself and make the others around him much better with the way that he plays. Um, So it's, you would still have to try to find that kind of other personality out there that, that lead alpha guy. And I just don't see how you can do it with him and drew salaries there so it makes it really tough and and I'm starting to look at Anthony Davis and I think he's a better player than this and they're clearly very different players that I'm about to say but is Anthony Davis really Carmelo Anthony in Giannis clothing I mean like you know obviously they're very different but like curry and I'm talking about curry the food dish mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh in uh, red hot candies both have cinnamon in them but they're right. very different, right it's just this certain ingredient in them that i don't think they are really the kind of player that can take an organization to the next level and this situation can be very similar to when denver traded uh carmelo away and they came back with a haul of young players and draft picks that they immediately were winning again. They were playing a different style, but they weren't all locked into this one guy and everything focused on this one guy became more of a team. um, And they had a much deeper team. And I could see that kind of thing happening here, especially with Drew 
around in the kind of packages we're talking about getting back for Anthony Davis. We get talking about quality young players and a lot of future draft picks that continue to build as you go along. So I think it's better for the team right now to move on. And it's weird to say because this is I'm remo- I'm, I'm removing my emotion out of the fact of what he did and how it, it worked out. I don't really care. I'm not like mad at him. I'm just, I just am ready for a change. And I think that change is, um, has a higher ceiling than retaining him. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, I think, yeah, I don't see any way that this becomes, especially considering the finances. If AD were to come back, that means he's obviously signing his max extension. Uh, and then couple that with Drew's money, and then you, with the desire to go out and get that third star, which, again, would become the, the mandate. Yeah, I don't understand or, or see a path to that team becoming considerably better, becoming a Western Conference finalist or uh, let alone a championship contender, especially when you look around at the other teams that right now are in the final four um, in each conference outside of Houston. Uh, these teams were built primarily through the draft. And, and develop their rosters to have young players so they could have spots. That's why Philly was able to trade folks to get Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris because the rest of their roster was relatively cheap. You know, Toronto, the reason they had, you know, most of those guys out there with um, Kawhi Leonard are homegrown products. Uh, you go over to, to Golden State, those are homegrown products outside of Kevin Durant. The core of that team is homegrown products. Uh, Houston, you know, obviously went out and got James Harden, went out and got Chris Paul, but you know, a bu- and a bunch of role players. But the Pelicans can't win an arms race financially. I just don't see how how that helps. And there's only been one time in this franchise history when it built through the draft, and that was the longest sustained period of success in the franchise's history. And that's when they drafted David West and Chris Paul and filled that team out around them. So I agree with you, Kevin. Now, Fish, your article was about a dreams, your dream scenario. So I want you to uh, run folks through that. And, of course, you know, it, this depends on AD being all in and complimenting him on that. So talk a, mi- uh, a minute about why what you proposed is so enticing to you and why fans should get could possibly get behind it. Well, first, I get to kind of jump back on AD staying or going. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I would maybe 25% stay or so. And, I mean, what can Anthony Davis tell David Griffin? Well, he can sign on that Supermax contract. But he signs on that Supermax contract, and then once it takes effect, Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday take up 60-some percent of your cap. The Pelicans couldn't build a winner around those two guys when they were taking up 35% of the cap combined. When Drew was on, you know, a steal of a deal from his extension from Philadelphia, and Anthony Davis, you know, didn't – pick all the boxes to get to the Rose Bowl extension. When they were cheap, they still couldn't build a winner around them. Now you're going to have, you know, the two of them occupying over half of your cap. And then what? We're going to bring in a third star. And that third star needs to be a point guard because Drew says he doesn't want the ball in his hands. We've seen how he struggled when he has the ball in his hands. And so if that third star is a point guard, let's say it's Kemba, Kemba Walker, you know, the, the guy that's the most available, that team has no wings. And wings don't come cheap because they are so valuable and they're so wanted around the league. So you don't have a path to build the team if Anthony Davis stays. That's why I want Anthony Davis gone. 
Now, in the my dream scenario, number one, <clears throat> moving up in the lottery, obviously, um, but not all the way to the top to get Zion. And <clears throat> I mean, we've talked about this as a group multiple times. I'm sitting on my couch and I'm watching. There's Damian Lillard. He's in the playoffs for the sixth straight year. If the Pelicans could just achieve what the Portland Trailblazers have over the last six seasons, I think we as fans would be ecstatic. And, I mean, it's looking like they're never going to make a conference championship at this point. They're going to be out in the second round again. But they made the playoffs six straight years. They've won in the first round, what, at least twice. Because they won this past year, and then they won the year where he hit the game winner over Houston Mm -hmm. um, at the end of game seven. So they've at least made it out of the first round twice in the last six years. But they've made the playoffs every year. That stadium is packed every single year. And how did they build that team? Well, they drafted Lillard. They drafted C.J. McCollum. They drafted Myers Leonard. You you go down their roster and probably about 40 to 50% of their rotation players are guys they drafted or, most importantly, guys who are still on rookie contracts. You look over in Denver, the team across from them, I was looking at their roster last night. 60% of their playoff rotation, guys that they drafted. Youngest team in the league. Mm -hmm. Or Torrey Craig, who they gave him his first NBA contract and he wasn't drafted at all. And he was, you know, a European journeyman. And then he comes up in the league. That is the path to small market success. Now, that isn't to say this is the only thing we do. You still try to acquire guys through free agency. Part of my dream scenario is, hey, let's create enough cap space and throw all of it or as much of it as necessary at Tobias Harris so he can slot into the power forward spot. But going back, jump up in the lottery, get Ja Morant instead of Zion Williamson because I think Ja Morant and a point guard is easier to build around than somebody like Zion Williamson is going to be. If Zion Williamson is going to be your best player, you need somebody to get him the ball. The Pelicans don't have a guy to get him the ball on the roster. Not if we're adamant that Drew Holiday is a shooting guard and he doesn't want to be a point guard. So jump up in the draft, get yourself John Morant as your point guard, the cornerstone of the future, and he's going to be cheap for the next four years. And then, I mean, given the depth of the NBA, he's probably not going to check off all the boxes to make the Rose Rule extension. So you have seven years with him. Mm-hmm and then make the trade with the Celtics. My, well, it's not my idea. It was Charlie Gonzalez's idea, and he bounced this off of an Indiana Pacers writer. Of The Pacers are already rumored right now to possibly be ch- chasing um, D'Angelo Russell in free agency, so obviously they're planning on making cap space. Why not instead they go ahead and just, instead of hoping that they sign someone, D'Angelo Russell's going to be a restricted free agent, how about trade in um, Gordon Hayward just into that cap space? He's an Indiana guy. While everyone's looking at this most recent series in Milwaukee where he was a disaster, the previous series, if I would have if I would have published that article, you know, a week and a half ago after he was coming off of a great series against Indiana, Boston fans would have told me that both Gordon Hayward and Jason Tatum and Anthony Davis trade would be too much to ask. So that's just how much we live in the moment right now. <laughs> but if the Celtics are trading for Anthony Davis, they're going to want some cap release to either get enough under this 
the luxury tax to have flexibility um, or, you know, to avoid the luxury tax as long as they can if they're able to also re-sign Kyrie Irving. So bring in Jason Tatum, send Gordon Hayward from the Celtics to Indiana, and Indiana sends us DeMontis Sabonis, who's another guy that I've loved ever since the draft. It'd be nice to have a big man that knows how to set a screen on this roster. <laughs> can, Amen. Can any of you guys, the, the last guy that could set a screen was what? A Mecca Okafor? A Mecca Okafor. Asha could set a screen, yeah. But he was gone before Okafor was there. Yeah. So Okafor was the well, last one. Okafor was the last one, but that was that was like a shell of Okafor. But yeah, yeah. Like, get get a big man that and I mean Sabonis is as I've watched him, he's like a a poor man's Jokic. If if you watch how they run Indiana's, if you watched enough Pacer games to watch how in how Indiana runs their second unit, they ran the 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 entire offense through him at the high post. Like he he was like either second or third in touches per minute amongst big men right behind Jokic because he's getting the ball at the high, at at the elbow. He's running all of those ball handoffs and things like that, setting screens to make, you know, a hodgepodge of okay players functional. That's and the the, the biggest thing for me on Sabonis obviously is the screen setting and the fact that he's a rebounding machine. So you slot him in the center. Obviously, you're going to bring Jason Tatum in at small forward. You already have Drew Holiday at shooting guard. You're bringing John Morant at point guard. And then you've created enough cap space because you haven't absorbed a lot of salary when you're sending Anthony Davis out that you can throw all that cap space at Tobias Harris. And Tobias Harris really in this situation is your either number one or number two option between him and Jason Tatum. I think Jason Tatum is probably still the most assertive of the offensive players that would be on that roster. <laughs> and from there, you know, at, at that point to me, that sounds like a really fun team to root for. There's a lot of flexibility. There's a lot of shooting on that roster between Tatum and Harris, both 40% three-point shooters that can, that can space the floor. The Pelicans have multiple competent wings for the first time in franchise history. I mean, you'd have to go back to the Charlotte Hornets days in the 90s, maybe the last time they had that much um, competent wing play with Glenn Rice and Kendall Gill. So to me, that, that would be my, my dream scenario right there. I know other people have other thoughts, and a lot of people seem to think that my idea is too far-fetched. Well, I do think we're all high on Ja, on Ja Moran. Yeah. That's, that's one thing I think is universal is that – the the upside and the potential of John Morant. And like you said, point guard, I absolutely agree. When you look at the Western Conference and you look at the NBA in general, let, I mean, let's just be real quick about this. You go down the rookie of the year. It came down between Luka Doncic, who is, a, you know, nominally the point guard for the, the Dallas Mavericks, and Trey Young uh, with Atlanta. And then you talk about, you look at the, in the Western Conference, you can make the case that there are really only two teams that have worse point guard situations than New Orleans Pelicans right now. And that would probably be um, Phoenix, which has no point guard to speak of. And then the other is, I guess, um, uh, who am I uh, thinking of? Uh, Minnesota. 
you, I think those would be the only two teams in the West who you could say have worse point guard situations than the Pelicans. So I think absolutely upgrading at the point guard is something that has to be done for this team to be competitive because there is no more competitive position, I think, in the NBA right now than point guard. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Kevin, you yeah no, I, I think this is a perfect segue into also talking about what if David Griffin is forced to or maybe wants to explore trading Drew Holiday. Well, my favorite thing, honestly, involves the Phoenix Suns. And, you know, you can – Monty Williams would undoubtedly want Drew Holiday back. He wants probably some kind of veteran, especially with, with that work ethic, you know, bring some guy like that to the roster. And obviously that would have to entail Phoenix landing either the first or second pick. So, in essence, we would be trading for John Morant. But that was one of the questions. So I just wanted to throw that in so we could answer it. But it's really hard to see trading Drew Holiday anywhere else. Just real quick, go through the teams that need the point guard you just mentioned. Minnesota Timberwolves, they don't really have anything enticing that you want back. Utah's going to desperately want somebody, I think. Even though they say they want to keep Donovan Mitchell, kind of have the ball in his hands and stuff, you still think they, they, they're going to need a real point guard there. Orlando, you know, they've never solved their issues, even though, you know, they're going to be taking a flyer on um, – Oh, my God. Yeah. So – I, I don't know, but yeah, John Moran, I think we're higher. That's another thing we got to say. We're higher on him than the, the majority, definitely, out there. A lot of people like him, but we've been high on him, calling him easy number two, you know, what was it, back in December, I want to say? Maybe even yeah. November, late November. But I think he is a game changer without a doubt. If you can't get Zion, you do everything you can, throw the house at, and try and get him on your team. Uh, well, we do have a ton of other questions from all of our listeners and followers, and we're going to get into those. Excuse us if we don't say your names, because there are a lot of duplicate questions or questions that were very similar. Wherever I can, I'll, I'll make sure that I read uh, the names that we got. Uh, first question is one that we got a lot. Is there someone who will be joining David Griffin in the front office in the role of GM or in another executive role? Ali, you're probably closest to that. Do you do you think that there will be another person in? And, and if so, what names are you, are you hearing? I don't think it's going to be a splashy hire. I mean, I hear that they still would like to bring in maybe possibly Trajan Langdon, but I don't see how he why he would leave. Where, you know, his current situation where he's under Sean Marks, he's the assistant GM with the Brooklyn Nets. Um, really, a lot of the other heavy hitters are kind of off the table. Um, I'm assuming Danny Ferry, by the way, gets hired over with Washington. But, you know, I've heard that they, there's a few in that office that like Langdon. So who knows exactly how that will unfold. But I think Ferry's probably got that inside track for that GM job. So Langdon could be had. You know, he's got a little bit of history with Griffin. Um, he would definitely have to be um, given the full title of the uh, full general manager. Now, would David Griffin do that? And, of course, salary would come down to it. But, again, I don't know why you leave Brooklyn a team that's definitely on the rise in a big market for really an unknown here in New Orleans. So I think David Griffin's going to end up settling for a lot of, like, guys he trusts. There isn't going to be a guy, you know, that is going to be known by the public. There's not going to be another Trent Redden out there, you know. So if, especially if they miss out on Langdon or maybe another assistant general manager, he can pry away from somebody else. But, no, I think it's just going to be like a cadre. He's going to build up to where he's going to maybe get a couple of guys he's worked with in the past. A name I like is Tony Liotti. He's the guy that really helped him build the cap up in Cleveland and uh, basically circumvent it uh, for the Cavaliers in building that roster around LeBron when they were operating, you know, well above the tax. Uh, he's going to need a guy like that. Even though Griffin knows his stuff, I heard that he truly, really wants a real expert. And currently that guy, Tony Liotti, he was fired 
uh, or let go. I can't remember which. Same time Griffin left Cleveland, and then he took a job, and he's currently with the NBA some doing something with the league office. But I think he could be pried away, brought here. And then I think maybe Nick Uren. We all know who he is. He's that famous video guy who uh, gave Steve Kerr and the rest of that coaching staff that great suggestion of starting Andre Iguodala, what, four years ago. And that mm-hmm. really turned the tide where Golden State was down 2-1, and they came back and beat Cleveland for their first title. So I've heard that they can possibly pry him away, and it's simply because David Griffin, uh, he he's the one that first brought Nick into the NBA. He fired or hired him as his first intern in Phoenix. And, of course, we know his relationship with Alvin. They they both know that kid, so maybe they could pry him away from Golden State. I don't know. But it's not names like that that he's been connected to the past that have been highly thought of by where they're at, but they really haven't reached those upper echelon levels of uh, an executive office, like I said, like a Trent Redden. So I think that's what Griffin's going to end up doing. He's going to get a bunch of guys he knows that he because he's worked with and also maybe a few others that he's gotten to know since he's left Cleveland. Because let's face it, he knows everybody in the league, and everybody loves him. They respect him. So it would be hard to say no to Griffin if you're kind of looking for a job and he comes knocking on your door. So, Kevin, um, I'm going to show my age for a minute. Um, You've you seen the movie Back to School, Rodney Dangerfield? Yeah. You you remember, when, <laughs> remember he takes the final exam and the first question is like 35 parts? Yeah. Well, I got a three-parter here for you. Okay. So, from our friend <laughs> Tejeda. Um, number one, what do you think uh, will be Griffin's biggest obstacle leading up to the start of the season? Number two... Does a worst case scenario exist in the AD trade situation? Which is going to be a, that's a strange one. But, and then number three, how long do you think it will take for the Pelicans to make it back to the playoffs? Okay. So, one, the biggest obstacle, um, I guess, I guess one of the biggest obstacles would be betting on a draft pick heavy return. Uh, on an AD trade because, you know, as great as people project sometimes, sometimes it doesn't live up or injuries happen, uh, those, those sort of things. So I think um, a bit of uh, gambling on unknown over proven commodities. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's the wrong way to go. I'm just saying that is an obstacle that you definitely have to face. Cause look, like you guys are really high on John Morant. I don't really have, I mean, I mostly get my, my, takes on that from you guys because I don't watch a lot of college basketball and I haven't really dug into watching and reading about these guys yet for the for the draft um but you know we don't know what he's going to be like when he comes into the league you know perhaps Karis LeVert would be a better option than him you know what I'm saying like you don't know is he going to be as good as a Spencer Dinwiddie or a Karis LeVert or a Pascal Siakam or or whatever you know he he may not make the transition um so i think that's the biggest obstacle is is you know nailing the draft picks when you're trading a transit uh transcendental star i mean look at when cleveland not that Kyrie is that kind of player but when cleveland traded Kyrie away they come away with colin sexton is basically you know the end result of that um so you you never you never really know and uh Remind me the second part again, real quick. Yeah, uh, what what's the worst case scenario in the eighty with an eighty trade? Oh, I mean, I guess the worst case scenario is 
basically the first thing that I said, (laughs) but also him living up to what we thought he could be in another location and doing all the things the the right way somewhere else. Um, That is also a terrible situation, especially if he's in the West somewhere that we have to face him regularly. And then the last part, remind me again, because I have terrible short-term memory. I'm like a goldfish. Uh, yeah, no problem. How long do you think it'll take for the Pellies to be in the postseason? Oh, um, I think realistically, you could see a real opportunity for them to make it within two seasons, for sure, if if uh, the rebuild goes correctly. I think worst case, well, it's hard to say worst case, because everything could totally fall apart, and then you have to maybe tear it all down, trade away Drew, and then really go with a youth movement. But considering the fact that most packages that we're talking about come with at least one solid young player and some future assets, and you already have Drew in place and you'll have some cap space to work with, I think a realistic window to expect a return to the playoffs uh, would be this second or third season for sure. And there's a chance you could even go in next season if, if everything clicks correctly. Absolutely. I, I, I agree with you on that. I mean, uh, and Ali and I have talked about that a lot, the right package. I feel like in the West, because the West is so fluid from 6 through 12, there's always a chance, based on health and, and how you're playing, to, to sneak in and get one of those last three playoff spots. So I, I, they absolutely, if the right trade comes along, should be in position to compete for the playoffs next year. Yeah, especially uh, if you're looking at, like, these – like, we were talking about these playoff teams, but, you know, mm-hmm. like, Durant is – Everybody's pretty sure he's going east, so the Warriors aren't going to be what they were. You're going to have another year of Chris Paul aging and and falling apart more and more, and then that, those salaries, trying to keep that together. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of question marks uh, around. So, you know, you could easily sneak in somewhere. And right now I'm playing the game of fireworks or gunshots, so I don't know if there's a shootout going outside of my house right now. <laughs> Get low, get to the floor, <laughs> stay away from windows. That's pretty pretty rough. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, the Shermanator comes at us with this one for you, Mr. Fisher. Do you think the Griffin and Nelson signings increase the chances of the Pelicans signing a big free agent? Yes, but not necessarily this season. Um. <clears throat> This season, I think there's still going to be a little bit of a feeling out period because while we see, oh, they're changing all of this stuff on the back end and what we read in the media guide, they still have the same coaching staff. As far as we know, they're bringing the whole thing back. And so with that and let's say, you know, that Anthony Davis is traded, if Anthony Davis is traded, then it's going to be Drew as your kind of cornerstone for, for the now, for the free agent that you're trying to sign. It's going to be Drew, whatever young player comes along in that trade, let's say it's Tatum, and then that free, free agent. Now, we project you know, what those draft picks are going to mean and be two, three, four years down the line. The free agent isn't looking down that long. That long. Tobias Harris isn't even looking down, you know, that far. Or, you know, if D'Angelo Russell happens to somehow be available because of his airport escapades and, you know, the price or the fact that the Nets decide that 
hey, we have the cap space to sign a really big free agent, Kevin Durant, and maybe they don't mm-hmm. necessarily have the space to retain, you know, the restricted rights. <clears throat> so, but I don't think for the Pelican fan mindset, hey, we just dropped a max contract on D'Angelo Russell is going to feel like a big free agent signing. A big free agent signing for them is going to be a top-tier guy like Kevin Durant, not realistic. Um, Tobias Harris, I think, is at the upper limit of realistic. But even still, I mean, what? He's like the third banana in Philadelphia. To the casual Pelican fan, it's not going to feel like a huge free agent signing, especially when – they report that he's making what like Drew Brees money. So <clears throat> I don't think I don't think with Griffin and Nelson that necessarily flips the switch this summer. You need you need more than just your reputation to build the reputation of the franchise. You actually need results here in New Orleans, not results that you had someplace else. Ollie, one of the things I worry about when we talk about free agents and people always talking about big free agents is again it's it's like we're trying to play it both ways we're trying to straddle two lines because we talk about the model of a of, of memphis or a portland or a denver or a utah and none of those teams sign big free agents but they can be very successful but we and the new orleans being the smallest market in the league how can how how do we get fans to to separate those two sides of the brain and say maybe we never sign a big free agent, but that doesn't equate failure? Well, the easiest thing is you got to look past the glitz. I would argue you you can't expect to sign a top five name in this league, and I don't care who you are. How long have the Knicks been trying to land that big fish? How long were the Lakers trying to land somebody until they got LeBron? And you know I don't foresee them landing somebody. Um, during LeBron's time there in Los Angeles, you know, since he's signed. So it's not just us that you've got to kind of change. It's just this mentality of, you know, how attainable is it with these guys? And, and it's, it's beyond rare, you know? So you've got to set your market on build and fit. And that is something that Griffin has talked about a ton. And then that, that's something that fans should want to hear. Look, even though you just mentioned you rang off some names of the teams that haven't gone that way, you, you did forget one. Denver Nuggets did sign Paul Millsap. And I feel like he did bring a certain, you know, winning, tough mentality that that team, that young team really needed. And that helped them. I could foresee a very similar situation here with New Orleans. Say they do trade Anthony Davis. So we're kind of setting that course for that youth movement, albeit maybe a quick one because Drew, obviously, we're going to try and keep him here. And he's probably going to give this team a couple of years to make that turnaround. So you're going to need somebody else to bring in to give him a hand with all these youngsters kind of speed up that developmental process. So you would look for another Paul Millsap. So to me, that is kind of what the fans should be looking for is being such a high top, great free agent pickup for the Pels, not the Kevin Durant, not the Kawhi Leonard's probably not even like a Kemba Walker, you know, so, or Clay Thompson. So that's the easiest thing. Just look around the league and ask yourself how many of these teams ever land one of these guys. And furthermore, what's the most important thing? And it truly is. I agree with David Griffin. It is fit. Because I, I swear, Paul Millsap, even though he got off to a slow start with Denver and they didn't, you know, they didn't make the playoffs last couple of years, they narrowly missed. And they started getting some hate for that signing Paul Millsap because he was hurt as well. I think it has paid off in the end. I think we're seeing this team, even though they're in their first playoff run, they're showing that maturity. Something you, I didn't expect, honestly. But watching them play against this Portland team, I truly think now that Denver's going to win that series, 
obviously it's easier to say now, but when Portland was up two to one, I still had that sense Denver was going to do a lot better because you could see how they played that first round. And then, uh, you know, they're just a different team than in the last two years. And there's only one reason for that. That whole roster's matured. And the reason for it is by having a few veterans. And Paul Millsap, he's one of the best. So that's what I would want to see New Orleans fall, kind of that route. And fans should be happy with that outcome. I kind of have to jump in on that a couple. Uh, I just want to jump in on that because um, two things. One, the Nuggets had the cap space to throw all that money at Millsap because Millsap's on a huge like cap number and percentage. Mm-hmm. I think he's close to 30% mm-hmm. of the cap. They had that because they built through the draft. Mm-hmm. They had that because so much of their roster was their own draft picks or draft picks that they acquired on draft night, guys who were on rookie contracts. So you have the cap space to throw that at. We think that this is a piece that not only fits lineup beside Jokic and Murray, but also mentally, we need an adult in the room. And the second, when we're talking about big, splashy free agents, I was thinking about the Saints for a second. I think we've kind of retconned the signing of Drew Brees now into we knew what all of his career was going to be like after he brought it, he, he was brought in from San Diego, from what that signing actually felt like and meant in the moment when he signed with the team mm-hmm. outside of, you know, there's obviously a very big Katrina element to that, <clears throat> but Drew Brees was not the sexiest, you know, quarterback signing that had ever been until after I would, I would argue that in terms of in the moment, the biggest free agent signing that the saints have had is Jarius bird. Cause he was the top, the safety, um, <clears throat> the best safety available when he was signed and how did that work out? That was a disaster. Mm-hmm. So when we're chasing the sexy signing, we need to, we need to look at how those signings have necessarily worked out. And obviously football, basketball, are two different sports and basketball, usually if you're throwing huge max contracts, typically they work out mm-hmm. in the non Gilbert arenas level. But <laughs> I think when we're chasing the sexy signing, versus the signing that sits. That's that, that's one of the big things to me that makes a guy like Tobias Harris the guy that would be at the very top of my list because he's, I don't know, an anti-Julius Randle. <laughs> Kevin, my thing has always been about free agency is that in basketball, unless you are getting one of those few guys who does change the game immediately, free agency is primarily to fill your holes in your roster. You find competent, and, and not in a negative way, but you find your competent role players and your guys who are that tier below, like a Tobias Harris, who is not a guy who could carry a franchise, but can do very well in his role. And having that security of, of his production is worth the money you pay him. Do you think that's the mentality that David Griffin is going to bring coming forward? Or do you think that there is going to be this desire to, to make a splash? I, I hope. That's the mentality he goes into because, you know, like I think we don't really have, as you guys have already outlined, a real chance to make one of those huge splashes, especially when you're telling a, a free agent that you're sending away a player like Anthony Davis, but we want you to come here. You know what I mean? It's like if if I get a chance to play with Anthony Davis, I might be interested in coming here, but it's going to be a much harder sell. Um, try to lure in a, a, a guy that way. Um but yeah, I mean, I think that's where you go and you get your guys like, you know, 
the the guy I'll say till I'm dead, Ed Davis, those, those kind of players, you bring them in and, and, and these, these guys with intangibles, guys who know what they are, guys who fit your system, guys who make your better players better. Um, you elevate the play of the guys around you. Um, you don't need to necessarily shine in the box score, but in the plus minus is where you want them to shine doing the little things um, and contributing key skills that make everything work better. Um, and, and I think that's the mentality that they should go in with because in reality, like we've already said, every package that you're going to get is going to give you a young potential star and then most likely a high draft pick that will, um, you know, hopefully turn into another star. And then you already have a guy like Drew on the roster. So um, you just need guys to fill those other spots. And I think that's the way to go. Um, trying to just, again, roll. It's almost like rolling back the same thing. Now, if you got a player that was a, a much more of a player that creates for himself and creates for others a position that is more transcendent than the kind of position that Anthony Davis plays in the style of the kind of player that he is, um, then yes, you know, if you can land one of those guys, if you can land a Kevin Durant or – uh, you know, somebody like that, which we all don't believe is possible. That could be some something to pursue. But I just think building a deeper, more talented team, like we always go back to trying to build a team like Portland, like Memphis, or even like that Nuggets team after the Carmelo Anthony trade, where it was just a deep young team um, that ne- didn't necessarily have a star, but had a lot of really good players that played perfectly together in a system. And they, I think they won what, like 60 games that year, right? Um, so it, it's just that that's the approach they need to build. They need to build um, chemistry and identity with this trade. And that's the main thing more than trying to land a top star, I think. Well, we talked a lot about Boston, obviously, because they've been the number one um, topic as far as the Anthony Davis trade goes for years, essentially. <laughs> uh, how much does Boston's playoff performance? Obviously, they're they're done. Their season's over tonight after getting trounced by the Milwaukee Bucks, losing in five games in the Eastern Conference semifinals. A very disappointing run for the Celtics. How does that impact uh, the AD trade talks? Ali, we'll start with you. Danny Ainge back is up against the corner. I mean, he's got Kyrie Irving. If he's not already fully out the door, he's just about ready to go. I mean, his body language said everything in this series. I mean, he left the court before game four was even over. I mean, you got to at least stick it out with your teammates. Um, And we've, of course, everything's been backtracked since day one for him. Remember when he guaranteed he was going to stay with Boston and resign, whatever it was he said? But I mean, he's taken nothing but steps back from there. So Danny Ainge is about to lose his best player on paper. And so he's got to basically add another one. So he can't pussyfoot around. He can't, you know. And first of all, I don't. I never expected him to when it comes to an Anthony Davis trade because there's going to be a lot of teams out there that are going to pay, and they're going to pay pretty to get, get AD. And, and uh, there's probably even a few teams we haven't really even talked about or even know of that are going to make a couple of bids. But Danny is going to have to chase that him or somehow get Kevin Durant over there because otherwise he's looking at kind of almost a rebuild or just handing over the youngsters but say goodbye to those dreams. So Boston, I mean – They've, they've got to react, David. Now, with this terrible showing against the Milwaukee Bucks, they showed absolutely no fight or little 
little fight against a, one of the best teams in the East, but they're still an up-and-coming team. Milwaukee's not proven anything like Golden State. And the fact that Boston looks so woeful, they've got miles to go. So I expect for them to make a lot of changes. I, I mean, we've all talked about that. And right now with this showing, he, he's got to make a move now, a couple of moves, and he can't, like I said, push foot. As soon as you know he can make any deals, he's got to start agreeing to stuff. And you know he, he's got the war chest, thankfully, but he's not going to have the leverage. That's all we heard all year. Danny Ainge, somebody's going to get taken to the cleaners again by Danny Ainge. That's not going to happen anymore. Uh, Kevin, so let's go over to you on this one. Particularly guys, the guys that, that have been spoken about the most, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. Um, none of them looks particularly good in this series. The whole team looks bad, obviously, in this series. Have they um, – have you soured on any of them and, uh, as far as their potential goes as players? Uh, or do you see them all as potentially redeemable um, under uh, in a new circumstance? I haven't soured. I think um, they they are redeemable. I think it's one of those situations like I talked about earlier. You need to build identity and chemistry, and it just never clicked chemistry wise with them this whole year. Um, there's no doubt that there's a lot of talented players on this team, and maybe too many. Um, so I think they kind of got to do a little bit of a shakeup, and I think. You know, we, I think initially when it looked like Kyrie was leaving, it sort of a lot of people started to be like, whoa, maybe they won't want to do the trade for AD because why do the trade for AD if they're going to not be able to pair him with Kyrie? But the thing is, I think if they lose Kyrie, then they will become even more desperate to have that marquee player on that, on that team, especially considering the way the young guys looked in, in the playoffs. I think they need to sell that. And by losing Kyrie, and they could then bring in Anthony Davis and try to build a team around him and clear some space by sending guys out to us and other, you know, and other players through multiple trades uh, to clear space. And they have they still have all those great picks as well. So um, I think it's still a very attractive market for uh, a very attractive trade for the Pelicans, and I think it is still something that Boston will really want to do because even if Kyrie is gone because you know they need that that marquee player that face on the billboard especially to try to bring in other guys into you know their market into their system into a coach even though he's lost some of his shine from this season I think a lot of people still you know consider him one of the top coaches in the league so um I don't see anything that's happened that derails it on either side right now All right, Dave we got some, got a question from Perfect Patty and uh, it's two questions. Is the point guard position satisfied with this team if Alfred Payton is resigned and having Frank Jackson? And then part two, should the Pels look to, to pay Julius Randle long-term? No. Both questions, no. <laughs> um, point guard, I mean, we saw what, what the point guard situation is. I, I like Alfred Payton as a backup point guard who gets to get downhill against second units a lot um, and plays maybe a heavier role because the starter in front of him is a young guy or somebody who doesn't necessarily have the firmest of holds on the starting position, either a rookie or somebody else. And Frank Jackson, Frank Jackson ain't a point guard. <laughs> 
He's not a point guard at all. He's no. He's a. Uh, he's what Drew Holiday without the defense when he was young. I mean, he's a shooting guard. He's just short. Let's let's stop calling a short a short guard a point guard just because he's short. Mm-hmm. No, he's just short as point guards go. I mean, as shooting guards go. That's it. That's the only reason anybody would consider him a point guard. That's somebody making a roster off of 2K instead of actually watching the guy play. He's not a point guard. As far as Julius Randle, he is not a long-term option for anything. And my feeling on Julius Randle actually is a lot similar to what I had to Anthony Davis. Those are guys that this isn't the situation, that they can grow into the player that their potential um, suggests they can be. And maybe a change of scenery someplace else is what's going to unlock that for them. But I don't expect that coming back to the same coaching staff is the thing that's suddenly going to open their eyes because there's a new guy in the training staff, in the, in the training room. I just, I, for me, I just don't see that. I don't see it at all. Kevin, anything on uh, the point guard position? or yeah, I, mean, I think it's interesting because early on in the year, I think the three of us were very adamant that the Pelicans needed to get another point guard once the season started. And it was very early on. Um, very early in the stages of Alfred Payton's injury. And I just think back to what would have happened had the Pelicans sent out a pick, uh, sent out like the pick we have right now, our first round pick for Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, had him come over, run the point. Um, I don't think, I think it would have kept this team afloat enough that Anthony Davis wouldn't have been able to pull uh the thing that he tried to pull with his trade demand, I think it would have changed the season drastically. And then that pick obviously would have been later on. Now Davis may still want it to be asked out, but it wouldn't have been such a public display and such a public way to do it because it wouldn't have been justified because the Pelicans would have still been in the mix. But we see how quickly this team falls apart when there is not even an NBA level, you know, I mean, Alfred Payton, I love him too. He's a local guy. He's fun. Um, I really like him a lot. I want him to be a lot better than he is. Like in, in my heart, he's a lot better than my head says he is. Mm-hmm. And I know this. Um, <clears throat> and I want him to succeed, but he's not really a starting point guard in this league. And if we, if, if by just having an average point guard, we can be a team that's competing for the playoffs, imagine what it would be like to have a real point guard. And I think that's something that the team really needs to address. Um, so, yeah. I'm fine with bringing Alfred back. I don't think he should be like we sign him and then we're like, okay, now we're good. I still think there needs to be another guy to at least challenge him, if if not a guy who's a lot better than him. And then as far as Randall goes, um, you know, I was super high on that signing when it happened and it was a total miscalculation on my part and a total letdown. You know, I've said it a million times. I thought I was getting Kyle Anderson with a willingness and ability to score, and I didn't get that. I got a guy who could score, but not a guy who could score in a in a team setting and not a guy who could rebound or defend or create like I thought he could. Um, and so that knowing that he's definitely going to opt out of that contract, and then if you were to bring him back, it's going to be at a much higher rate. I definitely don't want him on the team. Um, I hope he can – get to what I thought he was going to be um, because 
by, you know, he seems like a great guy and he's, you know, he seems like he could be a really fun player that could really work in this league. Um, but it's just not clicking for him right now. And as David said, just bringing him back to the same staff, I don't think he's going to have that growth here. I, th- I think, you know, the the one thing that surprised the, all of us last season, and, and you guys have touched on it, was it, it as Kevin said, you don't want to have Alfred Payton and feel like you're done. And that's basically what the Pelicans did last season after they signed him. They, they didn't pursue anyone. And we were looking at even at the garbage heap uh, for, for point guards <laughs> and, and talking about like Ty Lawson and saying, you know, if just a, like a replacement level point guard, uh, imagine what that team could have done. And I think you're right. That when the story of this all gets written um, about these last couple of seasons around the Pelicans, that decision not to um, augment that point guard position uh, really could be one of the things that ripped that scene between AD and the Pelicans much earlier. I, I absolutely agree with you on that, Kevin. Yeah, didn't that, that, but we all talked about that, right? Mm-hmm. Dell yes. sitting on his hands. And guess who was making moves, who was also suffering a lot of injuries? The Houston Rockets. Yep. Austin Rivers they added. Was it Daniel House? They added a couple yep. guys under the radar. And, you know, Ellis. it kind of helped them win a few extra games. I think that's all the Pelicans needed. You're right to avoid this AD scenario, and Del Dense did nothing. But so listen, I David, gonna... I want us to move on. I want to ask you this question actually, because okay. we had a bunch of them, and sure. it's all related to the draft. So let's say, for instance, the Pelicans don't move up to the one, two, or three. Who we we know everybody is going to pick Zion Williamson first. John Morant's like a go number two, but if not, RJ Barrett. So those top three are locked in. But let's say the Pelicans stay at number seven, or maybe even drop to eighth or ninth. Who in that range, give me two names that you like, and then also give me a couple names that you don't like, that you feel are overrated, that the Pelicans should avoid. The two that I like is one, I like Kobe White. Because, again, you want a point guard. Um, He gives you size at that position. I think his body will grow out. He's uh, got excellent quickness. He shot better than I thought he was going to at Carolina. So I really do like Kobe White um, if he falls to seven. Uh, the other player that I that I, I think I like more than other people is KZ Akpala out of Stanford. I love watching him play. Uh, so, Kevin, you should go watch some videos of him and tell me what you think. But I think he's one of those guys who I think is exciting. Again, um, you talk about wing positions. He can play both guard positions. He can play, I mean, excuse me, um, shooting guard and small forward. So I really like him. The, the guy who's who really fell off, I am not that high on R.J. Barrett. I think other people are far higher on R.J. Barrett than I am because I just don't think he chooses his shots well. I, 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 don't, I think he's very loose with the basketball. Uh, he's not a great rebounder for his position, uh, especially considering what he played against at Duke. And it didn't seem like he knew how to figure out his spots between he and Zion. So I, I, I'm not as high on R.J. Barrett. I don't, I, I don't find his upside to be um, as dramatic as other people do. And I'm not a big fan of, of, of Nasir Little um, out of Carolina. He was the most highly touted guy out of Carolina, but it seemed like he produced the least. So those would be the two guys that I don't want to see. But I really, really do like um, Kobe White, and I do like KZ Akpala. Cool. Hey, hey David, uh, Kevin, I want to ask you since, like you said, you haven't really gotten into college, but I know David watches a lot of college or follows it too. So I'll give a couple, two, two you like, two you don't like for, say, seven, eight, or nine for the Pels. And uh, you give me yours first, though. Talking to me, Fish? Or yeah, Fish, you, bud. <laughs> okay. Um, 
you know, in that seven, eight, nine range, DeAndre Hunter isn't sexy. Uh, I, I, we need we need to start with that. I don't think he's going to be sexy. I'm worried about his ability to actually dribble the ball in the NBA after watching what <laughs> Derek Culver did to him defensively. But he can shoot. He's long. He can defend. Sometimes you go into the lottery and you're hoping for you know something wonderful and you get a rotation player that you know you can start every night and is not going to be a complete disaster. And you're happy with it. So if, if we're trying to stay safe, Hunter is my guy. And if you're trying to swing for the fences, honestly, I go with Darius Garland. He only played like four games. That like You're mostly looking at AAU highlights and high school highlights on him. But he does look like he has the confidence and ability to pull up from that, you know, Steph Curry, Damian Willard kind of range. He's he's got a lot of spring on his step when he's not injured. So I mean, you just you just hired this great athletic trainer. So take a chance on you know the position of greatest value I believe, which is point guard. Not in this draft, point guards are the most valuable, but in the NBA, point guards are most valuable. And then in terms of guys I don't like. This like Jackson Hayes, I want to say his name is. Oh, big Texas, name. yeah. Yes. Man, when That's I see mine. when I see a big man and it doesn't look like he can rebound in college when he's the only seven footer on the floor most of the time, there's no bigger warning sign to me. Like if in in today's NBA, if you're going to put a seven footer on the floor, he has to positively affect the rebounding game. Because if he doesn't, then he gets played right off the floor. Some other team goes small. No, there's no such thing really as, oh, we have a seven-footer. If you pull a six-foot-five guy on him, we're going to go post him up. If you post up some seven-footer, he's just going to get double-teamed as a turnover. So he has to be somebody who positively affects the rebounding game, and Hayes doesn't. He didn't in college, so why should I have any expectation that he's going to do it in the pros? That, that would be the one guy that absolutely jumps out I don't want that guy on the team. No, don't draft him. Yeah, good one. He's one of mine that I want to avoid too. My other one is honestly DeAndre Hunter. I am not, not impressed. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I know it's funny, right? And for the kind of the reasons you stated, but also, you know, the numbers don't lie. He's not a good rebounder. And that's what kills me with his size and his athleticism. He didn't have the blocks. He didn't have the steals. He didn't have the rebounds. This guy looked very passive. Um, I'm sorry, but all I see is Wesley Johnson out there, even though they don't have the same build. Um, I- I'm scared to death of him, so I would not take a chance on him. But a couple of guys I do like uh, that haven't been mentioned. Well, actually, you guys both mentioned him. Yeah, I want the Pels to chase a point guard, and I would be happy with either Garland or White. But the uh, other guy that I really like is Rue Hachimura. I watch a lot of Gonzaga, man, and I feel like this kid has that passion, that ability and, and he looks like he would run through a brick wall. And I think that's the thing I want with this team moving forward. I want those Drew Holiday, Kenrich Williams. I want to build a team with that kind of mindset and mentality. And I think Ru Hachimura's got it. He's a six foot eight guy who's got a really good, quick, long first step so he can get past guys. He's strong enough to get past them at like 240, 250. So he can legit play both uh, forward positions. And he can shoot, you know, the deep ball well enough. And I think he'll be a decent three point shooter because his shot looks really good. So, I'm a big fan of Hachimura's. Yeah, he's one of those guys, again, that can 
can play multiple positions. And of course, in the NBA now, you want as many guys as possible who can play, uh, you know, positionless basketball. So yeah, he, he's absolutely somebody I think that'll be watched. He may not, he just may not be available um, at seven, uh, or you may not at, at seven. He may not be the value. Um, that you want to take that early. But again, right. we'll see how we don't even know Tuesday. We'll know much better about how these things are going to play out. I mean, that's going to be the game changers on Tuesday. I would, I'll just add to this that I would say Garland is the ultimate Dell Dems pick. Like I, an injured player, like, you know, like a guy <laughs> that has all this potential, but never played in college because he was injured. That just seems like a, a pick that Dell would make. And he keeps rising Garland keeps rising, and he hasn't worked out for anybody yet. He's in like, a lot of top fives. I agree. Yes, That's weird. So I don't. I mean, he's a little guy, and that's you know that I always worry about guards. If you don't have exceptional shooting ability, mm-hmm. um, or if you can you finish at the rim, and Garland is a very small framed guy who isn't explosive, and he's not a great passer. Yeah, talk so, about playmaking, exactly, yeah. So if, if you're going to pair somebody with Drew, he better be able to create opportunities for other people. And so that's why I just don't think Garland is a good fit for the Pelicans because he does not create for others. If you bring in a guy who's going to be a volume shooter, that doesn't work in this offense. It's not built for volume guys. Yeah, but one thing I do want to mention about Garland, though, I feel like he's got that alpha mentality. So that's why I think you get the ball in his hands at the point guard position. Yeah, I'm not... I'm not high on his playmaking defensively, no way, and I'm worried about his injuries. But I feel like he does have that alpha. That's why I kind of like him. Can he? I mean, is he going to be able to finish? Because you look at, at the last two years, Alfred Payton couldn't finish at the rim. Rajon Rondo couldn't finish at the rim. So yeah, but we were successful with Rondo because he was an elite playmaker. You need somebody yes, that's but, elite at something. Yeah. Bring something, right? But and I feel like Garland would bring that alpha and shooting. Oh, John Moran would be a dream. He would check all the boxes except defensively. You just described yeah. John Moran. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, all right, we should. I think we've covered a lot, so let's end on a little fun question so we can all go out here on a smile. And this is from Michael Borky, and I think you all saw this one online today. Um, how long did it take you to catch your breath after <laughs> laughing at the Lakers today? Kevin, we'll start with you. Oh, man, that was great. Like, you know... As you guys know, I had a pretty rough weekend and then I've uh, been working ever since. So that th- when I got off of work and just all that Lakers stuff was unfolding, it was so great. I mean, uh, falling apart, the, the Ty Lue, finding out that they, they lowballed Ty Lue, and then that Kurt Rambis was making the decisions was just incredible. Um, I just don't understand what kind of blackmail tapes Kurt Rambis has on people to still be in the NBA and still be involved in decision-making. But I want a piece of that for sure. How about you, uh, Ollie? Yeah, I mean, it's been fantastic. I've been laughing since January. And I, I mean, <laughs> I, I wrote a piece right up front that they're a laughing stock, right? Everybody's trying to focus on AD's trade requests and all this. And I'm like, no way. Look at it from this vantage point. The Lakers are seriously a joke and they're screwing everything up. And they'll continue to screw it up. So they're still doing it. That's what's surprising. It's the off season, yet they're still doing things completely wrong. I mean, how do you let Monty Williams go sign a five-year deal when you wanted supposedly? I mean, the story is they wanted Ty Lue this whole time, but the fact that there was Rambus and maybe one or two others that weren't signing off, so they had to wait until Monty was off the, you know, off the board. So that way, 
then <laughs> process by elimination, you're stuck with one guy. Yet they screwed that up, right? They lowballed Ty. They're giving him this demand of Jason Kidd. Well, I don't know whether he wants him or not, but regardless, it's just hysterical. So I hope they keep it up because Laker laughs. There's nothing better than a Laker laugh because we all know they're fans. We've seen them in the arena, and, man, they're an obnoxious bunch. <laughs> Dave, you've been collecting tears all year, so how, how <laughs> good do the, the Lakers' tears taste right now? I, I, and here's the thing. It's not just the Lakers today because the Celtics were just put out and Kyrie pretty much quit on the team on the court in the past yes. game. Anthony Davis demanded a trade, and the Pelicans today, May 8th, appear to be in a better position than both the Boston Celtics and Los Angeles Lakers. The Celtics are looking at the fact that one of their stars is on his way out the door, um, we haven't even really covered a whole lot on the fact that Al Horford has a player option that he might not exercise because he knows if he exercises it, the Celtics might include him in an Anthony Davis trade and he loses his agency. So he, he might decide, oh, I'm not going to take that player option. I'm going to become a free agent this summer. So the Celtics are looking at, and we've always talked about how much the Celtics have all these assets, all these assets. They're one unlucky role in this lottery from having no future first round picks other than their own. If the Memphis pick conveys this year and this whole war chest of assets thing suddenly turns into how many first round picks can you have on a team at one time? And then the Lakers, I mean, that's just like a dumpster fire. Just the whole thing has been a complete and total dumpster fire. Somehow Anthony Davis was trying to force his way to their team, and it blew up their team. Not the Pelicans. The Pelicans just said, fine, we're going to reevaluate. We're going to get to the gym. We're going to get a new trainer, quite literally. We're going to get a new guy to run the team. And the Lakers and they landed the best. They landed the best. We were the poverty, remember? We were like the second-class citizens. <laughs> exactly. And the, the Lakers somehow – tried to sell their fans oh we didn't even talk to david griffin what kind of ignorance is that oh we knew who the most valuable basketball executive was and we are the most storied illustrious franchise in the entire league and we just decided you know what we're going to let this agent who's been a gm for two years and obviously doesn't know what he's doing <laughs> run this coaching search magic johnson just quit because he's too busy tweeting I guess. And then, man, we need somebody else to advise us on this. Let's bring in Kurt Rambis. Mm. I'm not even, I like, somebody said, how long have you been? I, I'm still laughing at the Lakers because I assume that something else worse is about to happen to them. Like, <laughs> what if LeBron James decides that he was out? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think crazy. that's what he because, did. <laughs> well, crazy as today as they as, were talking about shipping LeBron to Denver. They were like on ESPN. They were talking about that people have told Jeannie Buss to go ahead and trade, and they're still trying to convince her to trade LeBron, and that Denver is the, is one of the places that they're looking at sending LeBron, which would be the ultimate just nightmare for the Lakers. Just how badly this whole thing falls apart. How do you sell that to your fans? Like a year past, of LeBron. Like, like since since Kobe blew out his Achilles pretty much 
The Lakers have been on a constant decline, and apparently there's no bottom. I would would (laughs) disagree slightly just because I feel like last season, and I think one of the last podcasts we did um, to end, not the season that just ended, the season before, David, uh, Preston, and Ollie and I were all together at at my house, and uh, David and I talked a lot. I don't know if it was on the podcast or if it was just off the air about – you know, if we were the Lakers, we would not go mm-hmm. after LeBron because we don't like we felt like what they had there as a young team was something that could work and be fun and and develop into something. But once you inserted LeBron into that situation, it was going to be it would just is going to blow it up and set it back. And you know, it's not like they were uh, you know like a Phoenix Suns organization that didn't have. Uh, you know, championship pedigree, they got rings. So they don't necessarily need to be that ring chasing organization that way. Um, and and it blew up way worse than I definitely expected. I don't know how, how you felt. Uh, David, I'm talking about David Grubb, not Fisher. Yeah, um, I don't think we but, thought it would blow up like this. I mean, but you know, we thought. Insane. Yeah. You know, imagine if they wouldn't have even made those trades to Cleveland where they sent um, Larry Nance and um, – and uh, Clarkson. Clarkson over there, or if they wouldn't have gotten rid of uh, D'Angelo with Mozgov, you know, they would have just had all these young players there that they could have been an entertaining team. They may not have. But they kept Brooke Lopez. You know, and it, it's just, uh, it's just become such a nightmare for them. It's sheer pleasure for me uh, being like a, initially a Kings fan. I hate the Lakers. So like, it, this is, fantastic it's a dream come true but I actually kind of liked watching that team that they had the year before LeBron got there I found myself watching Lakers games which was weird but I I was enjoying what they had out there and now there's no joy in Lakers basketball well it's since we've tasted those tears I think we've found a way to uh call it a a show so uh guys uh Thanks for joining me, I guess, or me allowing me to join you and sit in for Preston. Uh, let's go around and you guys can tell everybody how to follow you on social media and what you are working on. We'll start with Kevin. All right. Uh, I'm at Kevin B for Bounce. Um, I got very sidetracked with some real life situation stuff. So Chris and I's third part has been put on hold and it's been my fault, but I'm hoping to be able to jump back into that very soon and get that out. And then I also thought about another trade today that's not Anthony Davis related. I guess David and I must have discussed this before, but like I said, I'm a goldfish, so I forget things uh, very easily. But it's if the Nets are truly serious about um, being able to get KD and maybe Kyrie or some sort of double star pairing, I would love to see the Pelicans help facilitate that by taking on Alan Crabb's contract along with Karis LeVert, especially considering, you know, Karis LeVert is a guy who's flashed a lot of potential but has some injury issues. And now that we have this Phoenix Sun staff, you know, it might be the perfect mm-hmm. situation for him long term and for us going forward because we finally have like that six, seven ball handling wing that we've not had forever. Um, even if we had Jason Tatum, they could play together because, you know, uh, Levert could easily play the play the two or, or just play double combo guards next to Drew. Um, so I think that would be a great player for us to pick up. So I might work on a piece about that as well. Um, but we'll see. Dave, what you got? 
Um, I'm at fish underscore um, TVW. Next thing I'm probably going to be working on is a reaction to the lottery and how that affects um, a possible Anthony Davis trade. Um, so give me give me six days for the lottery balls to drop and the announcement to be made about where the Pelicans are picking and where everybody else is picking because, I mean, all of those picks have a potential to impact where Anthony Davis might go. Yep. I mean, the right team lands at two or three, and if if David Griffin is a big enough John Morant fan, then Anthony Davis might be headed there. So um, really looking forward to the lottery. Hopefully the balls can bounce our way again. Ollie, what you got for me? Yeah, you can follow me, you know, where my full name, Ollie Cosell. And uh, I'm going to wrap up tonight that Anthony Davis article I've been promising to where I don't want him being kept. I'm just afraid of too many things going wrong or, or the potential for just one of them, I should say, going wrong. There's too many bad, scary scenarios. So I'm going to wrap that up. That'll be posted sometime tonight. But I do want to mention, everybody, thoughts and prayers to David. And that's Grub because he's going under the knife tomorrow. He's going to have his knee scoped. I forget what it is exactly, but it's a major surgery. All right. Yeah, I'll let you know what's going on. we be our thoughts and prayers tonight, buddy. Yeah, I'm having uh, the knee, my right knee scoped to repair a torn meniscus. So I get to join all my basketball playing friends in the club. You know, some of the guys I went to college with have already, you know, made fun of me because it's I'm getting mine in my 40s and they had theirs in their 20s. Uh, <laughs> But once we get past this, and I like Kevin, I've been dealing with some personal stuff as well. It's just been a rough couple of weeks for me too. But, um, you know, once we get past Tuesday, I really want to start uh, honing in on the draft, uh, the, who those potential targets could be, and who the, the best fits, in my opinion, are. So that's, that should be coming up once we get past the lottery on Tuesday. Guys, a pleasure as always. Thank you so much. And, of course, to everyone listening, um, listen, rate us, share us. Uh, and tell your friends this has been the latest edition of the bird calls and until the next time let's go pals thank you for listening to the bird calls on the off the glass nothing but net and up and under podcast networks if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today It's Jamie, Progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Technology Truths. Brought to you by GEICO. Technology Truths. Truth. Teenagers can communicate entirely in emojis. How was the birthday party? Pizza slice, kitten, soccer ball, pineapple? Truth. It's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at GEICO.com. What are you talking about? Paperclip, shoulder shrug, high five, wizard hat? What? Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.